morning, we are going to continue our Blessed Life series. This is part four. This morning, we are going to talk on stewardship. Stewardship is what we're going to talk about this morning. And the Blessed Life, this is the way God has created us to live, to be blessed in all areas of our lives. But sometimes as people, and I do this to myself, and I'm sure you've done this before, we, we for some reason... We, we put our life in silos. We compartmentalize our lives. We have our spiritual life. We have our church life. We have our friends. Maybe we have our family. We have our career. We have our prayer life. And all these things are just individual compartments of our life. That is not, that is not how God views your life. Again, we view, okay, Maybe my family's blessed, uh, but, and uh, my prayer life is blessed, but my finances are a mess, and my job's a mess, but my relationships are blessed. That, that's not how God sees it. God sees our entire life as just one life that he's created in perfection. And I don't know about you, but I know for my life, I want to live the life that God has designed me to live. I want to live a blessed life in all areas of my life. Psalms 34.10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. God is a good and great and gracious God. God wants to meet your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, your physical needs, your financial needs, whatever your needs are, not only, not only does God want to meet those needs, he wants to bless them and bless them abundantly. And biblical stewardship is one of the primary ways that we live our lives. It, it's highlighted throughout the Bible. It's rooted in creation. It goes from Genesis to Revelation. It's one of the main storyline features of the Bible. It's woven in and out of Every single book, every single spiritual truth, it, it touches every aspect of your life. And I believe that biblical stewardship is one of the greatest things that we can grasp and understand because of that fact. Stewardship touches every aspect of our lives. That's the way God's designed. God has designed everything, but he's left man to walk it out. He's left man to be stewards of all that he's created. And we are going to talk about finances today because stewardship includes finances. Does stewardship include your finances? It does. Does stewardship include your money? It does. Does stewardship include your family? It does. Does stewardship include your marriage? It does. Does stewardship include your job? It does. Does stewardship in include your spiritual walk? It does. It does. It does. It does. Biblical stewardship touches every area of your life. And I say that because today I want to almost enhance or evolve your thinking, to grow your thinking on what living a blessed life actually is, and what God really thinks about your finances, your health, your marriage, your family, what you really think about your life, and almost even more importantly, what you think about what you control in your life. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, that much of your life 
Much of your life, you control. God's designed you, God's perfected, but much of your life is in control, and you have choices to make that determine whether you're going to live a blessed life or not. If you have your Bibles, you can turn it to the book of Romans, and we're going to read from uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is a famous couple scriptures about renewing your mind. But I think that just, just the, the thought process of re renewing your mind is something that we have to continually do as Christians. There's so much stuff we face as human beings. There's so many things as Christians that are fighting our mind. We have to be constantly renewing our mind to keep those things out of our mind. So our mind is focused on Christ. And what's interesting, in the book of, Rome, the book of Romans, the first 11 verses lays out biblical truth after biblical truth after biblical truth. But in chapter 12, it starts to give us instruction how to practically live these out. Because stewardship is more than just reading and understanding what's in this book. Stewardship is actually walking out what's in this book and proving, proving what you believe about this book and what you believe about Jesus Christ and your creator. Verse 1 of Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your life, your life proves what you think about this book. Your life proves what you think about Jesus Christ. I've used this example this morning and last night, and I'll use it again. As a parent, I used to always tell my kids, hey, the people around you that might be mentors or, or people you respect or admire, listen to what they say. Listen to what they say. As a parent, I've evolved my thinking. I tell my kids now, don't listen to what they say. Don't listen to a word they say. And before you think to yourself, boy, you're kind of a jerk. I include myself. I even tell, I've told my kids, don't listen to what I say. Do not listen to what I say. Watch what I do. Because what I do is actually going to prove what I think about this book. It's actually going to prove whether I'm really doing it or not. Don't listen to what I say. Watch what I do. If then what I do bears fruit, then do it. And some of us, we, and even myself, we tend to not follow this, right? Let's just say an example of, let's say if you're trying to get a job, don't ask your five friends that don't have jobs for their advice on getting a job. Don't do that. Don't ask your five friends what they think about tithing who aren't tithers. If you're on a search for who God really is and if, 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 is Jesus really Lord of Lord and King of Kings, 
Don't ask the five people that are atheists what they think. It's not going to help you. Our lives prove, prove what this book means to us. And as we go through biblical stewardship, there's two roles you have to keep in mind, only two. There's God's role, and there's your role. Those are the only two you have to understand. And you also have to understand that those two two roles will never be mixed up. God's role is always the supernatural, always the supernatural. Your role is always the practical role, always. They will never be, they will never get confused. Don't ever think, yeah, but there was this one situation. Nope, you were wrong. You were wrong. Hey, listen, I love the spiritual things of God. I love the spiritual things of God. I love the practical things of God too. If I, if I just concentrate on the spiritual things of God, you're never going to see my life amount to anything because I haven't done the practical work. But here's what happens. When we take God's role and our role and we merge them together, that's when things start to happen. Great things in our life, we start to live a blessed life at the intersection of God's role and our role when those things happen. But we have to remember, our role is always the practical role. If you come down here after service and you ask for prayer and I pray for you and you somehow supernaturally get healed, my role was not the supernatural role. I, I, I did nothing. All I did was I practically applied what God told me to do and I did it. There was nothing supernatural about what I did, I just happened to be able to listen and follow directions. That's, that's always our role. That's always our role. Christianity is based on a system of processes, of organization, of structure. God is not a chaos. God is not a God of chaos. It's not like just things happen for no reason. He's a God of organization, structure, and let me tell you, a God of practicality. That's the God that we serve. This does not limit the Holy Spirit. For everybody that wants a move of the Spirit or to see miracle signs and wonders, but the best way to see miracle signs and wonders is to just make practical steps in what God is doing in your life. Living this way doesn't limit the Holy Spirit It's just the opposite. If you live this way, it gives the Holy Spirit opportunity to move into your life and invade your life at just the perfect time. That's what it does. Stewardship is about God doing his part and us doing our part. Now, stewardship is way more than money. Stewardship involves every aspect of your life. Now, just to be upfront about it, we are going to talk about money today. So you can get it out of your system. You can get mad at me now. You can say, the guy at church always talks about money. So I'm telling you today, I am going to talk about money. But I'm going to give you a great reason whether you like it or not. One of the reasons why we're going to talk about money today is because it's one of the major things that are tormenting us as people and tormenting us as Christians 
is the way we deal with our finances, the financial shape that we're in. It's just the, the, the stresses that we're, we are under because of our finances. It's inhibiting us to live the way Christ has called us to live, and it's inhibiting us to live and walk out in the freedom that Christ has, has, has given us. Amen? Don't, you don't have to lift, don't lift your hands on this because I already know the answer, but how many of us at some point in our life have been stressed out about our finances, right? Most of us. And I know, here's what you're not stressed out about. You're not stressed out and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I am so stressed out. I have so much money right now, I have no idea how I'm going to spend it all. No one does that. The only person I've ever met in my entire life that does that is my wife. <laughs> that was a joke. If you'd stop laughing, I'd stop telling jokes. <laughs> Although my kids have been known to say, where Christy will say, hey, I bought this, and I'll say, oh, uh, where'd you get the money for that or whatever? And the kids will be like, oh, Dad, remember she's got that money tree growing in the backyard. <laughs> And you can, it's no doubt that all people, because it's one of the devil's greatest tactics, we struggle with fear and anxiety and stress over monetary material possessions. And it's just, I can give you stat after stat after stat about how it affects people and stress. And, and here, here's the deal. And what I believe, and if you look at this Bible, what the Bible says about being a steward of your finances, all this destruction and misery and stress and anxiousness over your finances, it's an entirely preventable problem. But I got good news. Biblical stewardship is a learned skill. It is a learned trait. You weren't just born or just wake up one day and say, man, I am a great steward of everything that God has blessed me with. It is a learned trait day after day, moment after moment. The title of my message today, again, this is part four, and the title of it is A Responsibility. A Responsibility. Three principles of biblical stewardship this morning. Number one, the principle of creation. God created everything. Stewardship in the Bible starts at the very beginning. You don't have to be a Christian very long to be, start to, to be taught about stewardship. You don't even have to own your Bible very long or your Bible app very long. It's the very first verse. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This point right here is the foundational scripture of stewardship. This is one of the very, this is the very foundation that stewardship is built on. God created everything. Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. This is the foundation of stewardship. Number two, these first two are real simple and easy. We're going to try to go through them quickly. Number two, 
the principle of ownership. God owns everything. Not only did God create everything, but he owns everything. Job 41, verse 11, who has preceded me that I should pay him. Everything under heaven is mine. Your life, my life, is simply on loan from the creator. I am a steward of everything he's blessed me with. I am a steward that everything that, co that comes my way. We serve a good God. God wants you blessed. God has a great plan for your life. And many times, listen, I've said this probably thousands of times, as, as so have you, right? We go through things and we say, well, boy, I'm just in downtime because this thing happened to me. This thing happened to me. This thing happened to me. Here's the thing. Hopefully this will renew your mind a little bit. Because if we believe that God is a good God, and he has a preferred future plan for us, a future with a hope, and a future that is blessed. Nothing has ever happened to you. All these things, good, bad, or indifferent, they've happened for you. They've happened for you. Now, some of the things that we wouldn't want to have happen, some, you know, it could be tragic things in our life, I'll be real honest with you. I can't explain that. I, I don't know why those things happen. Right, you hear all the time, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do all these terrible things happen to Bible-believing Christians? You know what my answer is? I don't know. I don't know. But I do choose to believe. I do choose to to believe that there's a God in heaven that knows. And there's a God in heaven that has a plan. And there's a God in heaven that I may be living right now where things might happening to me, but I know there's a God in heaven that is working on my, my behalf and things are happening for me. I may not know right now. I may not understand right now. But I do believe that he is working on my behalf to create a future, a future for me that's better than my past, a future for me that he has designed specifically for me. So how do we do this? How do we start to understand? These are the first two points. God created everything. God owns everything. He owns all the stuff. It's great to understand that we belong to God. We also have to understand, well, who owns all this stuff? All this, even the material possessions, family, relationships, careers, he owns it all. We are just stewards. Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalms 50, verse 10 through 12, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. You know, many times we go through life and we say, we understand, boy, God created everything. God owns everything. And God has power. And Jesus does mighty works. And he does supernatural things for you, everybody else out there. But somehow we fail to understand that 
He can do that in my life too. We have to come to believe that God has that power to do things in our life, but he owns it all. Now, to me, when I think to myself, God created everything, God owns everything, it takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off. It doesn't increase the pressure because I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be a steward of what he's blessed me with. And I'll give you this example that our daughter is 22 right now. So 22 years ago, and if you know me, my family, my kids are the most important thing in my entire life. 22 years ago, we were, I was wheeling Christy out in a wheelchair, and she had Brooke, our daughter, wheeling out of Memorial Hospital in Belleville up here. Walked outdoors just like that to the car that I pulled up. Put Christy in the car, put Brooke in the car seat, snapped her in, got in the driver's side, wasn't real sure if I snapped her in correctly. Hey, it was my first day on the job. I didn't want to screw it up, right? I go back. She's in there. She's in the car seat. She's secure. I go to the driver's side. I turn the car, and this literal thought hit me, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I turn that car on. I got Christy on my right. I got my daughter in the back, and I think to myself, what do I do What do I do now? And many times, as raising her to be a teenager and now an adult, there were many times where I thought to myself, what do I do now? But at some point between April of 1996, or 1999, sorry, and here, I, I figured something out. In those last 22 years, I figured something out. I think it might have been last Thursday, but I think I figured it out. <laughs> but what it was sometime, I thought to myself, and it's even hard for me to say these words just because I love my daughter so much. I thought to myself, you know what? I, I don't own her. He does. I got to tell you, as a parent, as a dad, it, it kind of took some of the pressure off. Because I thought to myself, and even if I say this, as, as I say it, and I said it this morning, and I still I have a hard time like verbalizing because I can hardly believe that this is actually the way it is, but it is, that as much as I love my daughter, there's a God up in heaven that loves her way more than I do. Now, even as I say that, I'm saying that thinking, that sounds ridiculous. It's my daughter. I poured my entire life into her. It's all I, it's all I care about. Yet, there's a God up in heaven that loves her more than I do? Makes no sense at all. But here's the deal. Here's the point whether it's my daughter or anything else. But for my daughter, here's my role. You know what my role is? My role is just to be a steward of her life. Just a steward for a very, very short time. 
She has a creator that created her and owned her and will be with her and provide for her and bless her all the days of her life. My job in that thing is to just try to not screw it up. As much as I want to do everything, I can't. And I shouldn't because I don't know what's best for her. He does. Amen? Point number three, the principle of responsibility. God delegates responsibility to us. God delegates stewardship to us. And here's where the rubber meets the road. The first one, the first two, God created everything. God owns everything. They really aren't even up for debate. I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's just, it's true. It's a spiritual truth that you will never change. God created everything. God owns everything. It's like, it's like the law of gravity. You may not believe in the law of gravity. You may not understand how it works. You may not be able to see it, but the law of gravity exists. Does it not? Yeah, it does. If you came down here and laid in front of me and I had a bowling ball I was going to drop, and you, it doesn't matter whether you believe in the law of gravity or not, gravity is going to tell you that bowling ball is going to crush your head in when I drop it. Just, just the way it is. Number three. <laughs> The principle of responsibility, you control. So for you control freaks out here, this next part, you control whether you're blessed or not. Now on the flip side, there's about nine, arbitrary number, there's about 90% of things in life that I know you think you can control, you've got zero control over. You can actually try this at home. Go home today and take a piece of paper out and name the top 10 things that are bothering you in your life right now, and I'm going I'm gonna to be willing to bet that about nine of those, you don't have any control over whatsoever. I know you're going to argue. You say, yep, I can control this one. No, nope, you can't control it. There's very few things in life that we can control. And the only thing you can really control is yourself. First Corinthians 3.9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. For some reason, in all of God's infinite wisdom, he chose fallible, sinful, stressed out, fearful, unfaithful human beings to carry out his plan. That's just the way... He designed it. That's the way he's done it. He's given stewardship of our lives to us. But at the same time we do that, we have to understand the reality of God's word and the reality of God's economy. Two things to think about when it comes to that. Number one, God wants you blessed. You have to understand at the very infancy of your thought process, you have to renew your mind to understand that God wants you blessed. The second point will hopefully prove the first point, that God is the most extravagant giver you will ever know. By this one fact, he gave his one and only son so that you can spend eternity with him. No one else is going to do that. No one else is even going to think about it. But God gave up his one and only son 
for me, for you, for all of us. God has designed us to live a blessed life. But we have to understand that God wants us blessed. One last question. I lie. Probably not my last question. But let me ask the question this way. You're, you're, probably, you're, you're probably asking this question. Let me say it this way. You're probably asking the question, is this really that big a deal? Is it really that big a deal? Does God really care on my ability to be a good steward? Here's what I would tell you. I would tell you that to me, and again, I guess this is just my opinion, but to me, this is the most important spiritual concept to understand in your entire life. The most important spiritual concept for you to understand in your entire life because it touches your entire life. Now, let me step aside and give you a little bit of context. There are things that are more important, but you cannot control them. For instance, God's, God's love for you. You have zero control over that. Zero control. God loves you more than he ever will. God loves you more than he ever will right now. Right now. And every moment that ticks by, is the, the, it's the same truth. God loves you the most right now. You can't control that. Number two, salvation. You can't control that. You do accept it, but it's a free gift. You can't add to it. You can't change it. You can't do a bunch of good works. You can't be nice to people. You can't do anything to change it. It's a free gift. But the ability of being blessed, you can control that. And I'm going to give you an example and we're going to go to Scripture to prove that. I'm going to call it the stewardship test. And the test that I'm going to talk about, the stewardship test, because it's real easy. It's black and white. It's cut and dry. You either pass the test or fail the test. There's no like, yeah, I kind of do this. You either do it or you don't. And I believe it's the ultimate test of stewardship. And it's actually, it's the test of who do you honor with your finances. It's the test of tithing is what it is. Before you get mad at me, it's not my test. I didn't make up the test. The test is in this book, and we're going to read it in a minute. But again, keep in mind, this is the ultimate test of stewardship but it's really the ultimate test of two things. It's the ultimate test of your heart, and it's the ultimate test of do you trust God? Because if, if I don't trust God with my finances, I, I'm not going to trust God really with everything else. It's a question of the heart. And I use that example because it's the most clear and concise example. It's a test that I believe you must pass to fulfill the destiny on your life. And again, it's the test of tithing. Now, before, you're probably already mad. I'm talking about money. But here's the deal. 
I'm going to sidestep a little bit and just show you how important this is to God. Everybody's probably heard of the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And you hear that and people say, man, man, when I get done, when I, whenever God calls me to heaven, whenever he calls me home, when I get up to heaven in those pearly gates, I hope Jesus is waiting there. And I just want to hear that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. And that appears in the Bible. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, you know what context that's used in? Money. It's an answer to a question of stewardship. It's the parable of talents in Matthew 25, where one guy has five talents, another guy has two, another guy has one. The guy with five doubles it and has 10. The guy with two doubles it and has four. And the guy that has one buries it in the ground. He's a bad steward of what God has blessed him with. And we're going to turn to Matthew, just because I know somebody's thinking, is that really in the Bible? I'm not sure that that's really there. Matthew 25. I'm going to pick it up in verse 20. So he had received the five talents, came and brought five others' talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. This is important. This is important. Pastor Matt chose our theme verse here of Malachi 3, verse, Malachi 3 where it talks about the tithe. This is our anchor verse of the series. And this talks about, I, I think, some serious stuff. And when I say that this is the most important biblical concept that you can get, it's from this set of scriptures right now. And on this one, don't get mad at me. He, Matt, Matt, you can get mad at Matt. He's the one that chose this as the anchor scripture. So if you don't agree with this, you can be mad at him. Verse 8, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Here's the deal. Here's what that means. You are cursed with a curse. Here's what this means. There are people in our church right now that are under a curse. I have friends, family members, loved ones that are under a curse. Now, God is not cursing them. When they're cursed because they live in a cursed and fallen world. That's why they're cursed. God is here and gives us instructions like this to redeem and turn around that curse. And there's two testimonies that probably every pastor that's ever pastored a church Hears from tithers and non-tithers. A tither always says, man, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. You know what a non-tither says? 
A non-tither always says, I just can't afford to tithe. That's what they say. They say, I just can't afford to tithe. But here's the deal. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you actually tithe. Tithing is the thing. It's the thing that breaks the curse. You being a good person, you serving a church, you being a good dad, a good mom, a good husband, a good, uh, a good employee, all those things are great, obviously, but they don't break the curse. The tithe is the thing that breaks the curse. And you probably already know this because you start to get to a point where you, well, my finances are just about there. They're just about there. But something happens. Something else breaks down. You get another bill. You get sick. Something happens. Well, what's happening? I'll show you what's happening. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may food, be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. You're not being able to get ahead because the devourer is devouring your finances. And again, this goes way beyond finances. This is just the most clear and concise example. The devourer is devouring your marriage, your spiritual walk, your prayer time, your family, your job, you're giving the devourer access to all of these things. That's his job. The thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. John 10.10, 10, that's scriptural. The end of that scripture says, but, but I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. Hey, another thing, the, the tithe, look at it this way. Like, I'm a businessman. The tithe is 10%. 10%. As a businessman, that's actually a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. And I know you're kind of like, no, it's not a good deal. I can't even make it on the 100. How, how am I going to make it on the 90? Well, if you Read these scriptures and believe these scriptures, that's the way to do it. Let me ask the question in a different way. Would you give up 10% and give it to God? Would you give 10% for him to bless you, to live a life of peace, to live a life of tranquility? Oh, and on top of that, for him to protect you from the devourer, to be underneath a hedge of protection for your wife, your family, your marriage, your kids, your job. That sounds like a pretty good deal. That, that's, that's a deal that Jesus is making with. He's saying, try me now in this. Test me in this. It's the only place in all the Bible where you will hear that type of language. 
where the king of kings and lord of lords says, test me on this one fact. When we put God first, remember, it's a matter of the heart. It's do we trust him or not. When we put God first, everything else lines up. What I will also say is, this is not a, this is not a recipe for perfection. This does not mean that your life is going to be perfect. This does not mean that you're never going to have any issues, that you're never going to have any problems, that you're never going to have to just get on your hands and knees and just pray to the Almighty God to come through. It's not, that's not what this is. This isn't some sort of like tricky scheme. It's a lifelong process that when we do that, these practical things, it works. These spiritual truths, hey, these truths are truth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It will always be the case. But our lives, our lives will prove what we believe about this book. In the question of stewardship, our life, the practicality of our life, will not just prove what this book means to us, but our lives will bear fruit. That's the way to live. I'll give you one last analogy as we close. And you know, the great thing about God's promises, God's promises are always in the future. They're always in the future. And one of the great questions is, how do I know who am I honoring with the tithe? How do I know? And let's just say, I'm going to make it real simple because I'm not a math guy. Let's say this is my income. Ten $1 bills. They're all the same. I worked hard for it to earn it. But which one of these, or how do I know which one of these really honors God? How do I know? It's real easy. It's the first one that leaves my hand. It's the first one that leaves my heart. Remember, it's a question of heart. Now, I'm not getting real, I'm not being real religious about this and saying you can't pay your car bill or your rent before the tithe. But out of your heart, it's got to be the first one. You got to know this has got to be set aside. Because if you have that fancy house that you're just trying to pay down real quick so maybe you can buy another fancy house, and that's always what you're doing, well, that, that's, what, that's the one that your finances are honoring. If those are, that's always the one that goes first. The one that leaves your hand first will show you who you're honoring with your finances. And when we put that first one into God's kingdom, you know what happens to the other nine? You know what happens to the other nine? 
Man, there's something supernatural. There's something supernatural that happens to the other nine. Somehow the other nine, they just work. And I'll be real honest with you. When we do that, I have no idea. I have no idea how the other nine work. I have no idea how this other nine becomes so supernatural that it meets all my needs. I have no idea how it works. But here's the deal. It's not my job to worry about the supernatural part. Remember we talked about there's two roles. This nine is not my role. This nine is his role. My role, and thank goodness he's kept it so simple for me, my role is this one. I know what to do with this one. And when I put this one first, man, I know that he's going to bless me. He's going to fulfill me. He's going to rebuke. And listen to this, because I think this one for me, I've missed this one for years. Listen to this. He's going to rebuke the devourer for me. He's going to rebuke the devourer from invading my marriage, my career, my relationships, my prayer time, my spiritual walk with him. There's going to be a protection, a protection that he provides that nothing else will. Amen? Stand to your feet as we worship.